Season 1, Episode 9, Dan on Top. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. We've got a good friend, Tali Cream here. She's with us on Dan on Top. E-commerce expert, commercial real estate rising star, and someone that I've really enjoyed talking to, and I'm super excited. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us. Tali, how are you? Good. Happy birthday, Dan. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing it with me. Um, so, happy to be here. Yeah, awesome. So, so let's jump right in. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, and maybe why you're here. Um, well, first and foremost, I'm a mama of four. Um, and my professionally, I'm an e-commerce um, manager and director of operations for a very successful seven-figure e-commerce company. Um, I'm here today to discuss with you the effect that Amazon is having on the commercial real estate. Um, there's a lot of questions and a lot of assumptions going on there. And I think that with you being our commercial real estate expert um, and me having some e-commerce uh, input, I think that we can kind of iron out some of those assumptions. All right, let's iron them out, baby. How, how, how are we going to do that? Tell me how I can help iron out a lot of these misconceptions about e-commerce, the Amazon effect, and, and everything that's going on in the world. Let's start that way. Um, well, we know that a lot of people are saying, oh, brick and mortar, the demise of brick and mortar. Um, I don't believe that there is a demise of brick and mortar. I think that there is just a shift. Um, and we can see that with, um, you know, going from store to storage, uh, all of those uh big box companies that are turning their retail spaces into warehouse spaces and fulfillment centers. Um, that's really the shift right there. So there's no decline here in the, in the, in the commercial real estate aspect. There's just a shift going on. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you on that. Uh, I see a lot of offering memorandums. I'm even guilty of this myself where, you know, in the, the text it says, you know, Amazon-proof tenant or, you know, e-commerce-resistant asset. And I think that that, while it can be important to focus on, it's a little bit of a misnomer and kind of misleading because e-commerce is not a threat to brick and mortar. It's an adjunct to brick and mortar. Wouldn't you agree? I do agree. I do agree. Um, I also, I mean, I feel like a lot of the stores that uh, people are concerned about. Like people, they, they think about Toys R Us and they think about, you know, Kmart and Sears and all of these stores that are closing down. And, you know, they're kind of panicking in that sense. And, you know, it's it really only pertains to, to those retail stores that didn't adapt the omni-channel approach. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, they're, they're therefore not in the game anymore. They're sitting on the bench or on the bleachers. Absolutely. And you mentioned two things I want to touch on. First, I love it. Omni-channel fulfillment or the omni-channel method. So for everyone listening, omni-channel is basically the opposite of a unichannel. Unichannel fulfillment means it's all e-commerce or it's all in-store or it's all delivery. Omni-channel means you have all of those. You have some type of a mix of different types of fulfillment. So for example, a company like Kohl's, who 
interestingly enough, partnered with Amazon and not only allowed but encouraged customers to come in store with Amazon purchases without boxes, set them down on the table, and let Kohl's go ahead and ship them over at their cost with a partnership with Amazon in order to bring people into the store, right? And at the same time, they also have their own level of e-commerce and of, of, of fulfillment through through delivery. That's omni-channel. Omni-channel, in my opinion right now, is the only channel. That's it. I'll say it again. Cool. Omni-channel is the only channel. It's so important not to, to not lose sight of. Now, you also mentioned something else I want to talk t- touch on. Did you want to say something before before we go on to the, to the next thing? Yeah, I was going to say how important it is to adapt to the consumer demands. And even as an e-commerce company, not actually a retail store, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges for a successful company is to be able to uh, tend to the consumer demands for expedited shipping. So yeah. consumers want second day shipping they want you know they as soon as the norm is going to be same day shipping and or same hour shipping yeah exactly and that's where it's going and consumers are they don't even want to bother with packaging their returns anymore they want to go tomorrow they want to drop it off they they don't want to be bothered um and if you're not catering to that you know then you're not in the game 100 percent. i mean we're in a, a culture of convenience i couldn't agree more that as any retailer or any business person for that matter, learn from the best. Learn from Amazon. Make it easy for your customer. Make it easy for your clients, and they'll continue to do business with you. If it's difficult, if it's more than one click, they're going to find somebody else that will allow them to do the same thing or something better with only one click. So now you mentioned also, Tali, I want to walk it back a little bit. You mentioned about some names that just – I have to talk about this. You said Kmart. You said Sears and Toys R Us, right? So those are companies that basically went the way of the dinosaur. Now, what I notice immediately when you say those names is that those are tremendous big box companies. Okay, When I say big box, I mean that their typical store format and store size is, is, is over 40,000 square feet, which is a very hard box to, to, to repurpose or to fill with another tenant. And it presents some unique challenges. Now, if, you, if anybody wants to look back on my LinkedIn, I wrote an article back in February. I think it was like February 7th or February 9th. And it referenced the retail right sizing in America. Uh, if you noticed at that time, I, I put it pulled in some analytics. Retail stores were closing at an alarming rate in 2018 and the beginning of sorry 2018 2019 and really at the beginning of 2020. Obviously, with COVID, things have really accelerated. But let's walk it back pre-COVID if we if we can. I know a lot of people want to do that. So let's walk it back. Even then, even back in February, before this got all blown up and everything. Um, I was mentioning about this retail right sizing because you have a lot of huge companies that just didn't need that footprint that used to serve them well in the 80s and 90s. And now today, I think that the companies that are really going to succeed and, and even thrive in this new environment, especially especially in a post-pandemic world, are those retailers that not only have an omni-channel fulfillment, but they also have a store that people want to go to, right? So, so tell us a little bit about the interplay between e-commerce, maybe even social media, and maybe a mall experience, for example? So consumers want to be able to have the option. So if you're not offering options for them, they're going to go somewhere else. So if they have the option to touch and feel and also buy online or think about it and then go buy online and then return it and then drop it off if they want to instead of packing it up and shipping it, um, then you're winning customer loyalty and you're you're therefore uh, increasing your revenue as a retailer. Um, and also in the malls, you have foot traffic there. That's where people are going. They're going to shop there. So you know they're they're planning on 
buying or they're planning on returning. And if there's an outlet there, you know, it's optimal. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. That interplay between the foot traffic and what we like to call in the brokerage world, experiential retail, which is essentially a retail experience that's not just a buying and selling or, or you know, a transfer of currency for product, but an actual experience, right? You have kids, I've got kids. So sometimes we go to a mall, not because we want to spend money, but we go to a mall because we want an experience or we just want to get right. out of the house, right? But um, a lot of people... A lot of people who were, who were um, you know, avid shoppers, you know, uh, retail shoppers, people who, you know, they don't like the online experience. They like to they don't like to have to try things on, order multiple sizes, things like that. With with the pandemic, a lot of people were forced into becoming online shoppers. Yeah. So, you know, this is a major transformation and we have to take that into account. And, you know, even though you know, they're online shoppers, they're still in the back of their mind, they're looking for, you know, ease, ease of sale, ease of return. Um, and that's what's driving consumers today. Again, absolutely. Make it easy for your customers and your clients, and they'll return to do business with you. I want to take that and kind of segue into something else. As a broker, I always say that provide value, everything else follows. If I make the experience easy for my clients, they're going to want to do business with me. I learned that from the corporations, right? I have a background. I worked as a business development manager at Amazon. And Amazon prided themselves on being the most customer-centric company on the planet. And I learned a lot from them because focusing on the customer and, and the consumer, we had Evan Lyons on earlier, and, and we said the same thing. Making it easy for your clients and from your, for your customers, whatever line of work you're in, is always a great investment, and it always pays off. So I think that's really, really crucial, and it's something that we should focus on when we're evaluating the companies that we want to invest in. Now, it is my birthday today, as, uh, as, uh, as you mentioned right when you got on. And my LinkedIn, oh my gosh, I don't even want to look at my phone after this because I literally woke up to hundreds of messages, which I appreciate. It's really cool. It's cool to be part of the LinkedIn family. Um, just yesterday, I actually drove down to Cleveland to meet up with Marcus Ogden. Shout out to Marcus. Love the guy. He was speaking at a mortgage brokerage, Liberty Mortgage. Uh, he met Hesh, who owns the brokerage, on Facebook like two or three years ago. Now Hesh and Liberty are a client of Marcus's. Marcus and I met on LinkedIn, and then I met Marcus in person yesterday, and we connected more and more on social, which is really, really cool. And I think that's another aspect of commercial real estate that we can't discount as brokers, which is the effect and the strength and, 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 and the amazingness, if you will, of sites like LinkedIn. And I think that the retailers themselves recognize that. That's why they want us on there because our data is an insanely valuable commodity. So I want to take a step back. I'm a little tired. I want to be a little lazy. Uh, it's my birthday. So my birthday wish is that I want you to take over the show. Ask me some questions. Um, well, how do you feel about the fulfillment spaces in in the malls? Like, are you oh. are you getting a lot of pushback on that? Well, I love it, actually, because, and that's a sweet question. I appreciate that question. So if you look back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even as recently as the last couple decades, developers were making money hand over fist by essentially building something that worked and then building it a little bit further away, you know, down the major arterial freeway and dragging the population. I'm from Metro Detroit. It's where I live now. And if you look at, like, Interstate 75, which goes literally from Michigan all the way down to, to Florida, um, where I am now, like in Detroit, as you drive up Interstate 75, you hit on your on the west side of the road, sorry, the east side of the road, you hit Oakland Mall, which is an old, in my humble opinion, dilapidated mall. 
Uh, you go a little bit further north, that's at 14 Mile. You go to 16 Mile, also known as Big Beaver, you've got the Somerset Collection, which is an insane mall. It was built years ago, but it, it, it had an amazing addition on the south side and the north side, and it's a destination mall. It's incredible. Now, fast forward, I don't know, this must have been maybe 15 years ago, maybe more, they built Great Lakes Crossing, which is a huge mall, like maybe five times the size, all the way up in Auburn Hills, right where I-75 jogs again. When they built that, there was nothing out there. No offense to my friends in Auburn Hills and Rochester. I went to college out there at Oakland University, but there was nothing out there. You go there now, housing prices are insanely high, and you've got a whole infrastructure, right? So all these things were built not because the community supported them, but they were actually designed to increase sprawl, right, to increase this urban sprawl and bring things out. Now, we've actually now got something what I call suburban sprawl, where people are moving outside of the cities and and more so into areas that have been expanded throughout the last 50 years of development in this country. So fast forward to 2020, when you've got an insane amount of vacancies in malls, right? You've got an insane amount of vacancies in multi-tenant all over the country. So if you look back, ah, gosh, maybe it was eight or 10 weeks ago, I wrote a post about this on LinkedIn, so, so Simon's stock, Simon is, is a large uh, mall, mall operator here in America. Their stock went up like 10% in one day because they were in talks with Amazon to lease out some of the vacant space that was held by JCPenney and use it for right. fulfillment centers. All of a sudden, the stock went up. Then what happened? Fast forward a few weeks, Brookfield and um, Simon themselves said, hey, we're thinking $800 million. We'll buy JCPenney, maintain control, not only the operation, but also the real estate. So there's interesting things going on in fulfillment in malls. I think it's a great idea. Talk about last mile. Talk about areas in, in, you know, in, in markets that, that have access to a tremendous population density. I think it's awesome. I think that, that that's going to be what you see. And that's really Amazon uh, trying to basically – uh, enter into the retail spaces themselves because yeah. Amazon is Why would they retreat it? Virtual. So, you know, for them to to enter into these retail spaces is their way of becoming omnichannel as well. A hundred percent. That's a very, very valid point. Amazon doesn't need to recreate the wheel. They can just piggyback on that existing wheel. And, and exactly. I think that this is the point I, I, I want to take away from this episode. First of all, you've been incredible and I definitely appreciate your time and the relationship that we've cultivated what I want to take away from this is that when people view something as competition, right, whether it's a competing brokerage or it's a competing product or it's a competing type of service, really, they don't have to ever compete. They can work together if people just have open minds and, and put their egos aside. A company like Amazon, the behemoth that they are, if they wanted to, they could buy another Whole Foods. They could buy another retail outlet, a retail distributor. But instead, they say, how do we work together? How do we find a way to piggyback on an, in, an existing infrastructure to provide a better experience for the, the customer through omni-channel fulfillment? Right. And also, uh, in terms of the commercial real estate uh, of the mid-sized stores and the smaller stores, um, how do you feel about those cl- stores closing down, especially at you know ridiculous rates uh, post COVID? Um, how do you feel about that in terms of uh, gaining traction again and and getting occupied soon? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I, I, I'm saddened. I, I don't like to see anyone in a position of of economic uh, struggle or, or challenge or uncertainty. Uh, in terms of what's going to happen, I think that. There's just uh, you gotta adapt, right? You can either go the the way of the Kmart's and the Toys R Us's and the Sears, right? Or you can go the way of the Targets and the Walmart's. You know, you can say I'm gonna just be Walmart and I'm gonna have people that are only shopping in my store, or you can say no, I'm gonna partner up with other 
uh, entities to try to get product out there. I'm going to take some of my existing stores. I'm going to turn them into fulfillment centers. I'm going to take other stores, other parts of stores, let people come in and shop for me, which, by the way, is insane. You've got a whole economy out there of people that want to drive Ubers and work for Shipped and work for Uber Eats and work for this company and that. It's it's an essentially like uh Gosh, I don't want to say it online, but it's almost like a, it's like a prostitute workforce, right? You, you have the opportunity to hire people by the hour to work for you as a company, right? So, so you can do that, and you can piggyback and help people, right? And help people, maybe I don't know how you want to look at it, but uh, you can adapt and go the way of the Amazons and and and, and the, the WalMarts and the Targets, or you can go the way of the dinosaur and and you know just have everybody buy their toys online instead of inside of Toys R Us. So, yeah, the answer to your question is I do feel badly about it. I just think from an investment perspective and a brokerage perspective, the opportunity right now is insane. You know, I pivoted hard in March. I sold my last multi-tenant strip center, shopping center here in Michigan, March 31st of this year. And by the time the guy, my client closed on it, every single cl- uh, tenant in the strip was closed because the order in the state was to close all those businesses. So now you've got those types of properties that I kind of pivoted away from. I went more into medical office buildings and tire stores and, and quick service restaurants because those are essential. And I pivoted hard into that. I, I believe the opportunity now is the same. I'll pivot right back. And if somebody wants to sell a property that they need to, to liquidate, we've got buyers that want to buy it. So the opportunity here is insane. My message to everybody listening to Dan on top is first of all, happy birthday to me. But second of all is pivot, pivot, pivot. Look for opportunity. Look for great people. Network. Have love in your heart. Try to work with people, not against people. Okay, Do good things. Treat people well. And you'll end up on top. Maybe even with Dan on top. Tali Kareem, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you. I'm so happy to have you in my network, have you as a friend, and have you here on Season 1, Episode 9 of Dan on Top. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Stay tuned. We got more stuff dropping here on NRM. Love you all.